All right. So you were saying you don't know much about Journey, and I was like, bullshit. Yeah, I never, I never got into Journey. I never heard Journey until I came to college. You never heard more than a feeling before college. <laughs> no, like I, like my this, my my like experience in Journey is all uh, frat parties and keggers. Like that's how I got. You know what? I accept it because <laughs> there's a there's a lot to say about how much music I heard while I was drinking at a bar oh, because yeah. I don't know if you've if you've heard some of the songs that like or the f- more famous songs at bars that people sing like Margaritaville yeah. hugely famous and you know screaming out the salt the goddamn salt is a very and maybe that's a local thing i think it is <laughs> do you guys do that uh no, no. like in, well, so basically well where kellen lives mm-hmm. now is where i went to college at the only the whitest musical things they do whenever sweet caroline comes on bum, bum, bum. We, we say eat shit pit because we hate university of pittsburgh wow during the national anthem after it's like all the raw kids regular and then they say like bombs or some shit like that like right after it's yeah it's kind of it's it's not too bad Rob, aka Sean Mad Love, aka Gordon Darks, aka Four Eye Willie, aka Pacey Twitter, because I don't wanna wait for my tweets to be over. I want to know right now will you retweet? Coming at you with a new edition of Mike Glamourique's Soapbox. For this episode, Mike and I interview Becca Sin. She's currently a sex worker based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. The purpose of the interview was to destigmatize the sex work industry while also educating any listener that may have been thinking about getting into the sex work game. The original interview took place on June 13, 2020. The country and the world have changed since then, but the gyms are valuable nonetheless. But the kitties is bed before listening to this one. Enjoy. We're back. All right. By the way, do you want us to call it, call you Becky or no? I mean, excuse me, Becca, Becca. Becca oh, is God. good. Um, I use kind of like the brand Sinful Serotonin. Mm-hmm. But my fans all call me Becca. They've been calling me Becca for about a decade now. People find me at conventions. I actually had a fan approach me last night when I was picking up uh, my client at the rave and it was kind of funny because like I'm in Las Vegas. I've never been here before. I don't know anybody from here. And there's a person who knows me off of Facebook and is like, Hey, I'm a really big fan. I used to have a podcast ages ago of my own called precision gaming. We did video games. What made you stop? The team I was working with wasn't great at being a team. And you know, like when you do a group project, how usually there's the one person who does like everything and is like the responsible one. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a wicked type A personality, so I was the person who did everything, and they didn't want to, like, really have it together on podcasts and, like, 
the topics they were doing. It was basically just like sitting in a room with four dudes being the token gamer girl. And it was it was a mess. It sounds like mm. shit. It's funny because I'm kind of I'm like, all right, that's terrible. But then I'm like, eh, they still had a, gr- a gamer girl there. So they're winning. Yeah. Like, it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. It was just wasn't clean enough for my brand. I've, so I started modeling in the adult industry at 19. Um, I started mm-hmm. off as an escort around that time too, and became a professional dominatrix around a year. And so I've been building my brand for a really, really long time. I've been working really, really hard at figuring out exactly what I want this brand to be, right? Because that's that's really what you are when you're an influencer and when you're doing sex work, you're like any actor or actress, that, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's one thing um, I think people don't really realize com- as completely as they should, how everything is a brand. Everything with your name on it or potentially having your name on it is part of your brand. And you capture that, capture that pretty young. Yeah. I um, My brand started really early. I was mean, I was one of the MySpace kids. So I learned how to code and I kind of came up with this whole aesthetic pretty early. My mom was really open to me exploring my own looks. She bought me my first pair of combat boots. Um, Ooh. Yeah, my mom is super, Doc super Martin. rad. <laughs> she's she's like the coolest. She's a seamstress. I'm going to plug her. She owns Jumping Raindrops Sewing and Design in Montpelier, Vermont. And she makes some of the most beautiful cosplays I've ever seen. Jumping Raindrops? Yeah. Ooh. Isn't that a great name? All right. It is. So because I was able to like fluctuate through aesthetics and everything, I really figured out how I wanted to look, how I wanted to present myself. You know, I kind of knew the direction my modeling wanted to take because both my grandmother and my mother were nude models. And I had looked at their work before and I took some inspiration in some of those poses as well as like some of the moods to start, you know? Yes. Which, you know, I will say I'm an amateur photographer and Marcus is as I'll, I'll say you're an amateur photographer, Marcus. Okay. You're, you're, I'm giving you the credit you deserve. And the and I think having a model who knows the poses is huge. And you having learned that being the third generation probably made all of your photo stints easier. Yeah, posing was never really an issue for me because I mean, I had posed for art classes and that was phenomenal. My mom would draw me when I was little, so I would pose for her for her drawings. She's a phenomenal artist. My whole family's artists. So like my brother is incredible. My mom's incredible. My younger sibling, Ferdinand, is like the coolest artist ever. And my grandmother, she actually had a few paintings in the World Trade Centers before they went down. Her naked ass is in the Met. (laughs) Yeah, that's my grandmother. (laughs) She's wicked cool. All right, so you're... Badass. <laughs> and, uh, you're smart. And um, God, where are we going with this? Is this just too much? Too much awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So when I got into modeling, I started off in alternative modeling because I was underage. Um, and mm. I didn't get into nude modeling until like 19 ish, 18, 19. I was with a dude who disapproved of it, which was really his issue. 
I mean, (laughs) (laughs) of course. There's always some guy. I lost 130 pounds that summer dropping his ass. Oh, you you dropped a whole human. I dropped a whole human. Becca, where are you coming in from? I am coming in from Las Vegas. The city of sin and that is part of your business. Yeah, it is. It's called the Naked City. That phrase is everywhere here. I love it. Really? It is amazing. I really have fallen in love with Las Vegas. You know, I've never been to Las Vegas before moving here in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was really entertaining. I don't know many people who have ever seen Las Vegas asleep. Like, asleep, Mm. asleep. All the casinos were down. None of them were open. No bars. No strip clubs. It was incredible because some of the places still had the lights. Like, Ferrette Street still had those fluorescent bulbs lit up so you could go to these places and you could take pictures of the empty streets and it was just breathtaking but what about the rest of las vegas that's outside of the strip how was that so the further out you got from the strip the less they really worried about the social distancing because i mean obviously the further you go the less dense it gets yeah and in a place where it gets 120 degrees during the day not a whole lot really survives outside for very long. Mm, yeah, that's a lot of sunburn really quickly. Yeah. I had said that if this, uh, if the major part of this had happened during the winter, or at least in the Northeast w- during the winter, we wouldn't have had such an issue keeping people in the house. Because, you know, two foot snowbanks, nobody's going outside. Yeah, I was born and raised in Vermont. And, like, we have a month of negative 40-degree weather there. It would have been fine if the pandemic happened during the middle of winter. It's a shame that it's happening when, like, things are starting to really get nice. Yeah, and uh, we're trying to phase back in on nice weather, and people have been trying to go back. So we're expecting things to shift back into terrible soon. Yeah, that's kind of how pandemics go. So all through high school, I studied virology, and I specifically was really interested in the Spanish flu because of the pathology involving the virus, right? Because it really only affected people in like the mid-20s who were sexually active, the people typically not bothered by influenza, right? And of course, the Spanish flu never went away. We just created a vaccine for it. And the same thing happened with the plague. I think... It needed, it off. I think the way it was handled was kind of a shit show by every single party involved because we've mm. seen these patterns before. And if we take yes. a look at history and we understand viruses and we understand pathology, then it really like think you can come global- up with the proper steps to have society not totally obliterate itself. I think if we look at it in a global perspective, the U.S. is doing the worst at trying to protect its own citizens and population from this. It's awful. The rest, the rest of the world, they said, "Hey, we're shutting down." Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, I don't care what about about all of this other stuff. We need to shut down for two weeks or a month. They shut down mm-hmm. when they needed to. When they needed to steam out the streets in different countries, they steamed out the streets. But for whatever reason. America would rather its freedoms over its life. Yeah, I travel to Asia a lot. And uh, Ooh. yeah, uh, my cousin, he lives in Singapore. So I go and I visit oh, him. Probably. He was living in Hong Kong previously. So I, would you like to be a mule and bring back some interesting Asian toys? Absolutely. I do that for my friend Tiana over at Geek and Haven. She, um, 
is a toy collector at, with her partner, Jamie, and they find like, they're like, Hey, go to the women's market and find us some like really cool, very weird, um, misshapen knockoffs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I could just imagine when you get, get back in there scanning all of your items. They're like, we know what some of this is, but there's a box over there. We need to talk about <laughs> I think my favorite moment in Asia was when I was in Japan and I walked into a sex toy store and they didn't know what to do with themselves because women don't go into sex toy stores there. Yeah, that's a completely different. You're just bending the norm over there. I really like breaking the norm. Oh, that must have been an inter- an interesting conversation you did not understand. Or are you fluent in Japanese? So I'm actually polylingual. Ooh. I know conversationally about eight different languages. I am right. really rusty on most of them because I haven't had a lot of people to practice with because I know so many. Mm-hmm. And being a small business owner means that like no time for anything else. That's true. So I've been really abandoning my languages. But I grew up, you know, studying French from first grade all the way until graduation. And what else? So independently, my stepmother was an ESL teacher. So I became friends with a lot of the kids. And so I learned through that. I learned Bosnian, Korean. I learned some Congolese, but not enough. I learned how to sing in Swahili. Hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. If you ever want to learn a language, learn how to sing in it. that's that's a good one well yeah. you know what's funny i remember a lot of people used to say that they did it that way when they were learning english mm-hmm. and um i know this because my father used to tell me about people who would study that way they would sing whitney houston songs and um anyone who they you know when they say the word it's the full stretched out version of the word so yeah there was a lot of that whitney houston and diana ross were people that yeah they sung all the time yeah and language is already really like pretty tricky to understand. So there's basically like 11 language families that we have. In fact, Cantonese and Mandarin stem from an Arabic family mm-hmm. due to migration. Korean is actually the only phonetic Asian language. And it was done like that on purpose. Mm-hmm. They invented their whole language. And still, despite Cantonese and Mandarin being rooted in Arabic, but still having a completely different ear-to-mouth relationship, English is still harder to learn. Yeah, I believe it. Because all we have so many words that sound similar, like there, there, there. And two, two, two. And two, two, two. So yeah, I learned a ton of languages in school. I did Cantonese, Mandarin, Japanese. I did some German. I did Spanish. Mm. Spanish I actually picked up because I lived in San Diego for a bit. Las Vegas is my 10th city in eight years. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> You just kept it mobile. Oh, yeah. So while everybody else was spending money on college degrees, I spent all of my money traveling the United States and learning about the different people that live here. Because we have a huge country. It's incredible. The diversity is amazing. And despite the climate that we're currently in, the pockets of beauty that exist within the United States are incredible and breathtaking we have every single biome in the world in our country so you can drive through rainforests and like deserts and tundras and everything it's amazing we have swamps and we have valleys and we have mountains and all of that yeah 
And as a photographer, I'm a seller. So, oh, you're a photographer. Mm-hmm. What camera are you rocking? So, my poor Nikon D300 hit the pavement the other night when I was doing photography out on Ferret Street. So right now, all I have is my Malta, our uh, Minolta 35 Minolta. millimeter film. And I all right. And just randomly, what's your favorite lens on that D300? Mm, a 50 millimeter. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I think we need to see this. Yeah, look up Windy Compass on Instagram. I specialize oh. in surrealism photography. The best part about knowing the technicals is knowing what technicals to break. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of that in my photography. If you're looking up on my Instagram, you'll actually see there's these people that look like they're painted. Each one of those people is hand-painted with blacklight paint. It takes about two to three hours to do. And then I take pictures of them under the blacklight. Yo. You said it's mm-hmm. windy. Yes. Like the wind. Okay. Oh. So you are managing a thousand different little hats here. Yes. <laughs> I actually have an assistant because otherwise I'd die. Mm, or you just explode. Yeah. Yeah. Callista keeps me sane. She actually takes care of my social media for me. So she takes care of my Instagram and my Twitter, which makes it super, super easy for me because then I don't have to worry about am I engaging in the engagement groups or retweet groups enough mm-hmm. and getting enough followers. And I had her take over. I've been training her and then I finally had her take over my accounts because I just I'm so busy right now. She's really nice. good. She's so she's my partner in my social media company. Since we're dropping names on all of these things, what is the social media company? Rabbit Entertainment. We specialize in doing social media for influencers, by influencers, and sex workers Mm -hmm. by sex workers. So the people that you're working with are already in your field and understand the stresses and difficulties and pressures that you're under to create massively good content. Because if you're not producing good quality content and it's not consistent, you're not getting anywhere. Okay, Jack, this is a We Should Do This Again sometime podcast ad take one. In a world where laughter was king. No in a world, Jack. What do you mean, no in a world? It's not that kind of podcast. In a land that... No in a land either. In a time... I don't think so. In a land before time. Jack, this is a cartoon movie, and we may get sued if you use that. Uh, can you say We Should Do This Again sometime was hosted by Kat Chinetti and V. Mark Rob, please? One man. No. When your life is no longer your own. What, what does that mean? When everything you know is wrong. Okay, bro, that's enough. We should do this again sometime with Cat and Mark coming to a podcast app near you. Someone get this guy out the booth, please. No, I like it in here. Now we're getting to uh, transition to talk about Rabbit Entertainment and actually being a sex worker. Yeah. Now, do you consider yourself a sex worker? Absolutely. In one of our earlier conversations, you explained that there are many different facets to being a sex worker. Yes. And can you explain what your aspect is, what you what you do in the industry to be considered a sex worker? So there's a few things that I actually do within the industry. Currently, I run an OnlyFans page where I put porn up on a regular basis. I do live streams. I play games. I posted a picture the other day with all of my toys laid out on my bed and I had my fans do a pick your own adventure where Mm. they could pick three and I'd make a set with it, which was super popular. It went over great. (laughs) I mean, the idea is like I'm still editing content and I haven't gotten back to some of them because it was that popular. It was good. I liked it. Fantastic. Yeah. 
And then the other aspect of sex work that I do is I work with other sex workers or other people who are interested in joining sex work to get in and out of the industry safely. Sex work, Mm -hmm. as we know, there's a lot of facets to it. It can be anything from full service sex work to, you know, just making porn online and doing cam work to working in a sex toy store. That is a lot. Yeah. Even working in a sex toy store would be a sex worker. Yeah, technically they would fall under the sex work umbrella, as I understand it. Now, this might not apply to all sex workers. Mm -hmm. From the conversations that I've had with a lot of sex workers, though, sex work covers anything involving eroticism or arousal as work. Would a masseuse be a sex worker? Depends. Is she giving a happy ending? I mean, we're all supposed to be pretty happy after a massage, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, there, there's ways to end it in a more happier space. I can exactly. <laughs> if you're not happy after your massage, they did it wrong. So what we call them in the industry, I actually, it's funny you bring that up because I, I used to manage a brothel that was disguised as a spa, Ooh. basically. I can't tell you where it was. I can't tell you anything beyond that. But what I can tell you, yeah, we don't, we don't see we're, we're not trying yet. to, we're not trying to upend anything. Yeah. We just want to know. We used to offer right? different services, including like, you know, when we talk about massage, it's sensual massage. Ah, okay. And there's different techniques that you use, like the Lily triangle, which was coined actually at the spa where I was because one of the girls, Lily was particularly phenomenal at her job. And she wouldn't even really touch the space of sex, but along the outside, very, very, very softly along the edges of arousal for the person and massage those areas. And she was good. And to cover our asses, everybody signed a sheet saying that this was a professional establishment. Nothing illegal was happening. Anything done by a single masseuse was their responsibility alone and not the liability of the spa. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Like th- this was a legal process that we went through to ensure the safety. I've been really, really lucky in the industry. My story is not typical. I've gotten really, really lucky. You've made your own choices. Right. You know, there's a lot of people who are forced into sex work. There's a lot of people who are human trafficked. There's a lot of people who do it out of desperation because they don't have any other option. And when I first got into sex work, it was actually survival sex work for me. I was in a really abusive relationship where the guy like used to beat the crap out of me. And so joining an escort service made it so that he wouldn't want to touch me at all. And I could afford to survive. Wow. Wow. And, you know, it saved my life beyond that, too. One of the stereotypes surrounding sex work is that people who enter into this field have been terribly abused or have daddy issues or any of those things. And while those behaviors may exist and while those issues may exist and while those histories may exist within the industry, they're not the sole cause of joining the industry. However, Mm. I found that through my own sex work, I've been able to heal really well through a lot of my trauma. So for example, the sexual abuse that I went through, I managed to work through a lot of the trauma involving that by becoming a professional dominatrix. Hmm. Okay. Because for once, I was the one in control. I could say no. It was my body. They weren't allowed to touch me, period. Yeah. Right? 
And the amount of control and power that brought to me really shaped a lot of my young 20s, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would say that sex work really did save my life and like save my appreciation for myself and my body. See, there's a hugely different vision of what sex work is. And most of the time, there isn't the positive that you have had. You know, a lot of it is, oh, you know, there's the strippers who we're hoping are just paying for college or, you know, are paying for some sort of addiction. And there are the lone mothers who have bills that are out of control and have to get into some sort of job where they because they have no other skills. And so a lot of this doesn't really have something that has a positive start. Not that, you know, you you had the most glorious positive start to it. You were in an abusive relationship and this did help, but you did take back the strength. And that's something that a lot of people don't seem to get very often. So I think that that narrative exists because a lot of people don't actually listen to sex workers when they talk about sex work and they don't Mm -hmm. ask the right questions. We're a really protective industry. We've been ostracized for a really long time. Our entire stance is political, you know? Yeah. So we are the reason that porn is legal. For example, full service sex workers, that's the reason you have porn. Because it was illegal up until like the 70s. Yes, it was. And (laughs) full service sex workers were just like, uh, no. And porn stars were like, uh, no. And now we have porn. But a lot of people don't want to hear that, you know? A lot of people don't want to hear the positive stories that come out of it. I know so many sex workers that I'm friends with, literally thousands of people, and they are living their best lives right now. And I think those stories really should be heard too. The human trafficking is a serious issue in our industry, and it definitely has to be addressed. But nobody knows how to find a human trafficker better than a person like a sex worker, right? Sex workers can get into literally anywhere. We're everywhere. We're fucking your government representatives. We're we're on your computers. We're on your husband's hidden files. We're in your wife's, you know, lingerie drawer. We're everywhere. And we're all across the spectrum, too. It's always really interesting when people bring up the negative aspects of sex work because they exclusively ignore men in the industry. Yeah, because, again, men are trash. But (laughs) especially the ones... No. Especially when we have to make our decisions on them. Right. Well, the men in the porn industry, I know a lot of them, and a lot of them are really cool people, but you just can't go to places like Pornhub. You have to go to, like, independent makers because Pornhub, 70% of Pornhub is stolen work. They don't age verify and they don't verify whether or not the actors are human trafficked. So you don't know if you are watching a human trafficking moment or not. Mm -hmm. That's sketchy as shit. So when you go off of Pornhub and you go to places like OnlyFans and you see the men on there, it's a very, very different vibe. It's also a very different atmosphere on OnlyFans in general. Like OnlyFans is not the same thing as the AVN, you know? For those who don't know, AVN is Adult Video Network. They're a huge proponent in this uh, 
sex work industry. But besides them, is there any other large entity like that? There's a lot of really large entities within the porn industry. I stick to being independent. I've always been independent other than the stints where I was working for Stow Bunnies up in Vermont and the which, when I ran the brothel. Amazingly sounds familiar. I don't know why. <laughs> I used to go by the name Vivian on there. That one was really fun. We could have met. It's entirely possible. But just randomly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh god, I never forget. You would be, <laughs> you would be surprised. I have people like, I, so I gained when I was doing social media influencing almost like thirty thousand followers across all my social media. And I still mm -hmm. go to conventions and stuff like that. And I still get found. <laughs> People are like, hey, Vivian, or hey, Becca, how's it going? And I'm like, holy shit, how did you know that first name? Oh, no. Who Imagine are you what? and how did you find me? Since you brought it up, though, how would you prefer to be approached in public? Like, if I'm someone that's a fan of your work, but I kind of spot you at the local Target, like, how should I actually approach you? Just come up and say hi. Really, I don't mind. It's actually really fun for me to meet people who are fans of my work because getting their perspective and seeing what they see of me through their eyes is always a really important experience to me. I hang out with a lot of my fans in my Discord channel. I'm pretty personable with them, actually. I think it's really important. You know, the people who will support you the most are the people that you appreciate. Yes. And I make sure that the people who follow me, the people who subscribe, they, every single one of them becomes appreciated. So if you saw me in a grocery store and you just came up and you're like, hey, are you Becca Sin? I'd be like, hey, how's it going? You've seen my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> After that, you're still just saying hello. Like, it's very clinical right there. <laughs> well, you can't be friends with me if you haven't seen me naked on the internet. You know, I feel like, nope, nope, I can't say that's true of me either. <laughs> Very, few Very few people have. Yeah, I tell everybody that. I'm like, look, if you're going to add me on Facebook, you're you're going to end up seeing some crazy shit. My mom is a huge supporter of my sex work, and she actually mm -hmm. follows my sex work Twitter. And I had to be like, hey, mom, I'm going to need you to, like, you can follow me. That's fine. Just mute me because, you know, at some point, you're going to see a giant prosthetic cock in my mouth. And like, I don't really want you to see that. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for your amazing want, support. You're so cool. Please don't make me do porn in front of you. Don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, <laughs> don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. And my dad knows and stuff like that. They just know to stay away from those things. Okay. So you're also a geek. Do you cosplay? Yeah. Right now, the last few years I've been spending on and off time working on my Barbarian Poison Ivy, uh, which I've hand-sewn entirely scale mail, Ooh. which is why I take breaks for long periods. Because, um, you know, your hands are tired? I have put literal blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. But, so, the body is made from silk ivy leaves. It's completely mm -hmm. scale mail. And then the armor is made out of bark. Real tree bark? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it's poison wild. ivy. It is. I'm sitting there. I'm like, God, you, this is this is a lot. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. I really want to see what it looks like when it when you've completed it. Thank you. I'm also... Oh, my God. I'm a workaholic. Okay. 
So I really, what I really want to do is there's technology that was released by M MIT where if you look at an outfit, the outfit responds to you looking at it by expanding, right? Mm -hmm. So what I would like to do is I would like to integrate this technology into my cosplay by putting a camera that does that recognizes eye movement and a camera that recognizes facial recognition. And each time a person looks at me, the IV covers my body. Ooh, that is, that will be interesting. Right. So you're just trying to make the greatest costume ever. Basically. Yeah. I mean, this I, is, this is going to be a stealth I like suit one day. I set goals, achieve my goals, and then compete with myself. Have you looked to see how much this uh, reactive tech is going to cost? A lot. A lot, okay. a lot, a lot. But that's why I hustle, so I can do fun things like this. There's no point that's in having true. money if I'm just going to not be using it to do the fun things that I love to do. Very, very true. It'll come back around. And as part of um, all of the fun things that you like to do, how do you keep yourself entertained when you're not killing yourself with all of this work that you put in? I love going out to the desert. I love going hiking. Um, I hang out with my friends. We take out quads and go bombing around the desert. That's a really great time. I ended Ooh. up at a rave last night. That was a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of the desert. I uh, I was belly dancing the entire time. It was great. It was that great. Is... It was bonfire. There are so many things that are just like, I, it, although it's also a very Vermont thing to do where you take like a quad and you just go just bomb around on a quad. But did you take the things that you used to do in Vermont and bring them all the way over to the West Coast? No, they were already here. I was just hanging out with the wrong people before. No. <laughs> yeah. No, you have to hang out with the right people on the West Coast to be able to do fun things like that. You've really got to, like, know who to talk to. And I, I'm one of those people where, like, I'm a people magnet. People are really, really comfortable with me from the start, generally. And I make friends super, super, super fast. So anywhere I go, if I'm in a crowd of people, I'm going to have like 10 new friends by the end of it. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, hopefully Mark and I end up being friends with you over time. Yes, I would love that. Hopefully um, we're not too weird. I know I'm weird. Mark is very normal. Look. Every well, well, one normal does not exist. It's either good, weird, or bad, weird. We fall into the good, weird spectrum. Uh, I don't know. You can ask my wife. She says I'm very weird, weird. Sometimes bad, weird. I don't know, weird. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I just, you know, I'm just a general asshole, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> you heard me kick my kids out. That's how we live. Hey, sometimes you gotta go, man. Sometimes you gotta go. Yeah, you know, telling a 14-year-old to get the fuck out is the way. Oh, wait, you don't have kids, do you? Nope. From, like, a really young age, I've known that I never want to experience pregnancy. Um, yeah. As I've gotten older, I've learned to refine that to I don't ever want to experience pregnancy, but I would really like to be a foster mom someday, I think. I work a lot with people who are in domestic violence situations. I work with a lot of people in foster situations. I do a lot of big brother, big sister programs. I think they're really, really important to do. And I don't know. I think I want to be the person that I needed when I was 16. So I do a lot of this mm -hmm. stuff. So that's actually how I spend the majority of my downtime is philanthropy and bombing around the desert. From the things that you were telling me that you enjoy doing, it does have a lot of social commitment. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Malachi. And this is Alejandra. And you're sitting on the couch and your life is passing you by because you're not watching Insert Name Here. K 
catch us Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you missed us, you can catch us on Friday on Spotify and Amazon. Yeah, obvious nonsense, gang, gang. Highfield Podcast Squad, you never take us down. I would ask, though, because you have a lot of hats that you have to wear and a lot of things you have to juggle, what's something about the sex work industry that even that, even something that you maybe have to participate in, what's something that you personally could do uh, that you wish you could do without? I think my biggest qualm about the sex work industry is the lack of education by other sex workers about their own industry and the history of it. That's what bothers me the most, I think, because what a lot of the sex workers who are coming into the field and the brand new OnlyFans girls who have started since the pandemic and good for them, they don't understand that the only reason that they are allowed to do what they do is because of full service sex work. And Mm -hmm. if you've been sitting here bragging about how you're not the girl who you know, shows her ass online. And then all of a sudden you have an OnlyFans and you're showing your ass online. You're literally showing your ass like at that point, you know, and that's, that's a serious struggle. It's really stressful. Uh, especially because a lot of the newbies want stuff for free. And most of us veterans, we've put hundreds of thousands of hours into studying our craft and studying the legalities of it. And really fine tuning and tweaking how we approach our audience to ensure that we get the most followers we can. So, you know, what I've been finding interesting about this is that the comparison is almost like, um, whenever you hear about someone that's new in a sport Mm -hmm. and they're the rising stars of it and how great they're going to be. But then the older people are like, Hey, you got here because of all that we've done. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the, think of it like, um, the LeBron James and Michael Jordan thing. Yeah. And how they're both great individually, but Michael Jordan basically put put the work in for LeBron James to be able to do what he does. Yeah. And, and I think to that's get shit uh, on by the like if if by LeBron James would have been awful. Getting back to the sex work industry, you know, you're right. Like some of these uh, new thing, new people who are jumping into the new sites, like OnlyFans, and even going to Cam Soda and things like that, need to remember and or realize where this all started from, and also some of the implications that can happen from what they're doing. Yeah, because it's serious. You know, I've I've gone to work normal jobs, had a coworker find my work and then spread it around and then I almost got fired because they thought that I was spreading around my own porn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Those are really serious consequences that exist and these are things that exist online. If you're going to be posing online, if you're going to be making porn, the best thing that you can do is be open and honest with the people that are in your life because if they find out and you lied, it's a shitstorm. It's so important for them to really, really understand the industry that they're coming into, especially because this industry is so volatile. You know, a lot of the people don't know what FOSTA SESTA is and how it affected the porn market and sites like OnlyFans and how it affected full service sex workers. They didn't even vote against it or like try to fight it in any way. They allowed it to happen and now they're trying to profit, you know? 
So here's a question, and I'm and I don't mean to download uh, to excuse me to dodge the fosesesta or fosesesta. Fosesesta. Okay, so I don't mean to dodge that, but I was going to go back to the exposure part, mm-hmm. the negative exposure, because we we had a conversation not too long ago where someone I don't know if they enjoyed someone else having been exposed or if they felt more righteous because this other person has been exposed but i but i wonder can you speak about that and having been on the other side a few years ago i was living in los angeles and i was uh engaged to this guy and i ended up going viral because i got into cosmo by the way never get married this is a terrible thing in a way yeah um i know i'm married and i love my wife but don't do it i avoid relationships like the plague people don't dating during sex work is impossible anyway back to the story we'll get on that one later so his family found out about me doing nude modeling and at this point i wasn't even really doing porn like some of my stuff was erotic but it wasn't you know there was no insertion there was no you know genitals none of that it was erotic it was implied it was still sex work but it wasn't It wasn't like straight up porn, right? Mm -hmm. And one of his family members sent an anonymous envelope to my grandmother in New York City filled with my pictures printed off from porn sites that I had never even uploaded them to, mind you, and Hmm. had a note in it, is this art or is this porn you decide? Oh, wow. So I got a call from my mom that morning. She said, we need to talk. Somebody sent an envelope to your grandmother. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, it was full of your modeling pictures. She's like, I'm sending oh, you the pictures now. So she sent me pictures of what was on the fo- in the folder because my grandmother took pictures. Mm-hmm. And um, that dude and I didn't work out because I don't stay in families like that. So my mom already knew. My grandmother didn't know. I mean, she knew that I knew modeled, but didn't know like the extent of it. And my dad didn't know. He had no idea. So that was the next phone call I had to make after getting off the phone with my mom was calling my dad and being like, hey, dad, so I need to talk to you. I've been doing this. I really like it. I'm really happy. I promise I'm being safe. But somebody sent Grandmommy and Jerry an anonymous envelope, and I don't know if they're sending one to you, too. This is tragic. If you get an anonymous envelope, just throw it away kind of deal, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. it actually, like, I ended up getting an airplane ticket and moving back to Vermont with only a duffel bag. I left everything behind to, like, just leave him and his family because I wasn't going to stick around in something like that. And it, it stunted my career pretty heavily. But, I mean, we're back on track now, so I don't mind. Good. I'm glad that your family supports you because something like the, something in like the business that you're in, you need all the support that you can get anyway. Mm-hmm. And making sure that your family doesn't shun you for the things that you do is is huge. Yes. And, you know, like I said, being in the porn industry is really, really difficult. It's not easy. Being in sex work is really hard. It's not easy. There's a lot of ostracism. Dating is impossible. (laughs) Yeah, you were saying that. Yeah. 
And like some of my sex worker friends have amazing partners that they found who happen to be just as into it as they are. And Mm -hmm. like just as into their partner. And I think it's really beautiful and it's phenomenal. But for the most part, everybody wants to fuck the porn star. Nobody actually wants to date the porn star. Nobody wants to snuggle the porn star. Yeah. Porn star has to pay for the snuggles. Porn star has to pay for the snuggles, and that's rude, man. I'm sorry. It's a business. You know this. I give bomb-ass pussy. I should be getting snuggles afterwards for free. You know how you have to pay for dessert after dinner? This is how it goes. We definitely talked on a lot about, you know, the industry and also family and even dating. But kind of touch on your clientele a bit. Uh, I don't want you definitely, you know, we don't snitch on this side. But are you, especially with OnlyFans, would you say OnlyFans, your clientele, they're a bit more, I would say, appreciative of your autonomy? Have you ever been in situations where, you know, maybe a man or woman, they maybe have thought they maybe have possessed you because they pay for your services and you kind of had to check them about that? Oh, absolutely. So back when I was doing escorting, I had a client who I was doing an overnight with and I ended up leaving early because he just sat there and he talked about his guns, his Mm. guns the entire time and where they were hidden in the house and how he had them everywhere. And like, that's that's not comfortable. That's not comfortable at all. Yeah, When you're in a house with a client, you don't know. And they start talking about all the guns you have. Your first thought is, "Hmm, I'm going to get murdered tonight. Mm. Yeah. It happens online too. Online, because people are anonymous, they're even more vicious. I can't tell you how many messages I've gotten where people like graphically describe raping me. Wow. Yeah. Or like dismembering me. Oh God. People are terrible. Yeah. It's wicked fucked. And, you know, like I can handle my own. I just send them an invoice and tell them if they want to talk to me like that, they have to pay. Why did all of a sudden you started sounding like Kat? <laughs> Kat and I are close for a reason. Um, like, wait, why does that sound like something either Kat has said or I'm hearing it in her voice? What's going on? Because I say it literally, all, she sees it on my timeline all the time. I post pictures all the time where, like, I'll send a dude. I'll be like, hey, you have to pay a $50 invoice for me to unblock you. Here's my PayPal. Yeah. And then I'll block him. And or like, I'll send them a, a $150 invoice for wasting my time. Ooh. I sent someone nice. a $600 invoice for wasting my time. <laughs> I wonder if they'll pay that. You know, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the day. <laughs> I actually only had one dude pay once. And so... He was actually in a pretty tight bind financially, so I allowed him to donate to a charity instead. Because mm. you can pay me or you can donate to a charity. Oh, why do you have that. to be so nice? Why do you have to be so nice? He could have just taken his money. I know, I know, I know, I know. And I can't tell you how much I love fucking on beds covered in hundred dollar be- bills given to me by the men that I use. But I've, <laughs> I've gotta say that's a picture that I can see now. Isn't it great? It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're doing it like um, American Pie with the dollar bills are raining on you. Yeah. The bed is turning around. <laughs> it's glorious. It's one of those spinny it's beds. Glorious. There's yes. a disco ball. It's crazy. God. Well, there goes your next OnlyFans idea. <laughs> I totally do it too. Can you talk about it as being one of the most uncomfortable experiences you've had as a sex worker? Honestly, probably the gun situation was the most uncomfortable thing that I've had. I've had 
a lot more funny stories. Again, I've been really, really lucky as a sex worker. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was working as an escort, the company that I worked for, you had to pay a $250 a year membership fee to even make appointments with us. And you had to provide your own medical record and you had to pay for the services. So we were really well taken care of. You know, that was an odd one that slipped through the cracks. And then other than that, I mean, I had one dude in the brothel who left bruises on my body because he decided to grab me, but he got, he got his finger bent backwards pretty quick. We took care of that. Nice. So are you a trained fighter then or no? No, no, actually it took me a really long time to be able to fight back because I, from the age of six have experienced really intense, really violent sexual abuse. And so for the longest time, I would just freeze. And it was actually being the pro-dom that made it so that I could respond back as opposed to like, be like, no, this is my space Mm -hmm. and you'll respect me. So you do physically kick ass as well. Yes. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Do you wish you had a mentor when you started this? Uh, I really do. I really, really do. I really, 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 really wish I did. Because there was a lot of things that I didn't know and I didn't understand and a lot of questions that I had that I couldn't get answers about. And back when I started, this was still, you know, 2009, 2010. So while there were forums available, they were very few and far between and very hard to find. The amount of research that you had to do to be into sex work was so much scouring to just find something legitimate. Because, of course, you type in sex work or you type in... You know, like, I don't even know if that term, like, was I feel something like as that, as you, right, as that, that you term wasn't even sex, something I really it. knew back then, yeah. you know? So finding resources was it impossible. It just, it was, it was so difficult. And then as sex work became more popular online, the resources started to grow. That's when things really got easier for a lot of people. I'd still say go with a mentor instead because... There's nothing like that one-on-one lesson. You know what? I, I also wonder what mentorship looks like in sex work, and it's just not what I think it should be. So I'm- mentorship can look a lot of, like a lot of things in sex work. It doesn't necessarily mean having sex with the person that you're mentoring at all. I'm sorry. That's what the subs make it seem like. Yeah. You might. That's your decision. That's all on the discussion of you and your mentor and the agreements mm-hmm. that you've come to come to terms with right a lot of times mentorship includes things like teaching you how to promote yourself the language that you use because the language that you use in this industry is very important the way you speak is very important you in a sense are a master reader of people you learn how to read body language you learn how to read how people type you learn how to read into like how quickly somebody responds is how much they want you kind of deal and there's a lot that there's a really big learning curve that comes with that. Oh yeah. You did say you have a mentee, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of them that I work with. Okay. So you are passing along the knowledge. And I, again, with Rabbit Entertainment, I actually have an entire area dedicated to sex workers. So it's social media run by sex workers for sex Mm -hmm. workers. That's, that's one of the things that I um, meant to say was hugely inspiring to me that you know you're someone who is in the business and you're looking to not necessarily change the business but make it smarter and safer i 
want to revolutionize this industry. I want to make it smarter. I want to make it safer. I want sex workers to be trained so that they know what human trafficking looks like and how to stop it. Mm-hmm. I am currently working with a couple of sex workers to build a United States union for sex workers that will provide full health care as well as union benefits, including like sex worker positive lawyers. So that way you have a lawyer to back you up if you're unionized. Why not? You'll have full health insurance for you and your family because you're a sex worker. You're part of the worker force. Why not? Making sure that all of your testing is covered, covered, yes, because, you know, you you guys have to be tested so frequently anyway. Yeah, and And there's so many of us who, who can't. Yeah. You know, and thankfully in Las Vegas, Las Vegas is super positive when it comes to sex work. They have 24-hour STD testing sites, STI testing sites. Nice. Yeah, they're great. They're really wonderful here. I haven't spoken to a single person who's, like, when I first got here, I was really nervous to tell people I was a sex worker. And at this point, like, I just, like, go out. I'm like, yeah, I'm a professional dominatrix. I step on people for money. And they love it. And they love it. I just turned a guy into furniture the other day and then made him buy me a pair of shoes because he was whining when he was furniture. (laughs) I don't like it when my furniture creaks, bitch. uh, You're like, I've needed a new chaise and you're the perfect size. Yep. (laughs) I would love to talk to you guys about like the legalization and decriminalization process and everything like that too. And like the difference between legalization and decriminalization and why there's an important distinction. You know, it's funny. Uh, I had this conversation about marijuana not too long ago. Yeah. Because it's a really it, important distinction, huh? Very, two very, very clearly different terms because it could be decriminalized, but it's not legalized. Right. And there's beg- benefits and negatives to both. You know, yep. with legalization, a lot of us sex workers run the risk of the legalization being controlled by people who really should not have control over the sex work industry. Uh, Mm -hmm. I am a firm believer that if you want to own a sex work establishment, then you have to have been a sex worker. Kind of like if you want to own a law firm, you need to be a lawyer because there's so much predatory behavior in this industry that it's the only way to keep it really genuinely safe. Thank you, Becca, for joining us on this conversation about sex work and the industry. We do want to have more conversations with you and open this up because this is just the beginning of the topic. And thank you, Mark, for being with me on the soapbox. Thank you to everyone who is listening. And Becca, as a last, can you give us your details? How do you want people to contact you if you want them to Absolutely. You? Guys, thank you so much for having me on. You can get a hold of me through Instagram for Sinful Serotonin. You can get a hold of me on Facebook under Becca Sin. You can also find me on OnlyFans, onlyfans.com slash Sinful Serotonin. Before I go, frozen turkey. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I had a client who had a Rachel Ray fetish. And I happened to do a really phenomenal Rachel Ray impression. I'm not going to do it because I don't hate myself that much anymore. Ah. But I'm really good at it.
And so he would want me to put on sexy cooking shows and he would sit across the room and he's like lazy boy or whatever. And he would whack it to me and I would put on these crazy sexy cooking shows and whatnot. And do you know how hard it is to look sexy when you're trying to stuff a turkey? Just like, oh, yeah, get elbow deep in there. It's it's really, (laughs) really hard. (laughs) Oh, my God. In more ways than one. It's just disturbing. And you're like. Did you butter at least before you you had to ram it or no? I mean, you always got to use lots of lube. I know, but you know, sometimes it's nope. You know what? Okay. <laughs> like you know what? What am I doing? Telling the professional different? Any different? No, leave that alone. She says, use lots of lube. Use lots of lube. Use lots of lube. Always with the lube. People are afraid of lube. It's so silly. It's just extra for what I do for free. But it's fun and lube and slippery. And it's hilarious. And hashtag butt stuff. Uh, Hashtag butt stuff. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?